before we get into it, this episode of Consume This isn't graphic, but it is about death and funerals. If that's tough for you to listen to for any reason, then go and pick out something from our back catalogue instead. Take it away. So my dad's based in Whanganui, which is where I grew up. Even though he and my mum had been divorced for a long time, he was the one that the police called, and he called me and my sister and then immediately drove to Wellington. My mum passed away really suddenly, so there was really no one immediately who could pick up the reins more than I could. I was really young at the time. There were so many things to do next that it was really difficult to get guidance as to what to do first. That's V Blackwood talking about her mum's sudden and unexpected death. We'll be hearing more about her experience with the funeral industry throughout the programme. Welcome to episode 6 of Consume This with John and Sophie. Today we're looking at the funeral business. Death, it's one of life's certainties. And as our population grows and ages, the number of people dying each year has been steadily climbing. You will die, and so will I. It's inevitable. Hopefully not for a while, though. According to the Ministry of Health, the average funeral costs eight to $10,000. So the big question we're looking at this week is, can you afford to die? Because I was still relatively young um, and my sister was even younger, none of us really had the money to immediately pay for things like um, a really expensive funeral. And so trying to figure out what to do without a lot of money to pay someone to handle those issues became quite stressful. I got quotes between, you know, three, four, even $5,000 from funeral directors. And that was a hell of a lot of money for us to come up with. We, we weren't able to come up with it. V's mum passed away with no will, savings or any estate that could cover the cost. That might seem like an unusual situation, but according to the latest round of our Consumer NZ sentiment tracker, one in ten of us are in a similar position, with no savings. V was a student at the time. Even the prices she managed to find, which were below average, were unaffordable for her. So in the end, she settled on a more DIY approach. But it wasn't easy. What we had to overcome was the idea that you can't really deal with the death process individually you're expected to go through a funeral director so the advice was let your funeral director know where your loved one is which hospital they're at and they'll go in and collect the body take it back to their premises prepare it and then talk to you about what kind of coffin you want what kind of burial you want and they'll arrange the whole service for you if you don't want someone or you can't afford to pay someone to do that for you figuring out what you need to do as an individual person instead is really, really difficult, and it was a real struggle to figure that out. When a loved one has unexpectedly passed away, what does need to happen? The first thing uh, before anything can happen is, you know, a doctor will need to sign the paperwork. And if it's a cremation, then the doctor will have to cite the person. They'll have to physically see them after the death, even if they've been treating them. This is Stephen Parkin. He's the CEO of Lamb and Haywood, a large New Zealand-owned funeral directors in Christchurch. Now, full disclosure, they hold a consumer-trusted certification. 
That means we consider them to have high standards of service and have done a full audit on them. I suppose what happens is someone dies and we'll generally get a call informing us of the death and we'll then arrange to bring that person into our care. You know, nowadays, 70% of people die in a care institution like a rest home or a hospice or a hospital. So what Stephen is saying here is that the first step is transferring the body from the hospital to the funeral home or crematorium. If you're using a funeral director, that's pretty straightforward. You tell them where to go and they'll take the hearse. But what about if you can't afford or don't want to do that? You can't exactly turn up with the family car and buckle them up in the back seat. We wanted to do that, but we realised pretty quickly that we weren't able to just show up at the hospital and say, oh, please put her in the back seat. We knew that we would need to find someone who could do that in a respectful and appropriate and hygienic way. V had, quite reasonably, assumed that because the hospital had transported her mother's body to the morgue, they'd be able to transfer it out again and onto the council-owned crematorium. She was expecting to pay for the services of the crematorium, but it seemed like it should be pretty straightforward. But as she found out, it doesn't quite work that way. So the hospital don't have any way to transfer someone's body directly from them in the morgue to the crematorium, even though, at least in Auckland, it was run by the city. Because they don't have that direct transfer, you do have to pay a middleman to do that service, even if you want to do everything else yourself. And it's not just the middleman who costs money. To transport a body, the law says, quite sensibly, that it needs to be contained. In practice, that means that whether you want one or not, you need to buy a casket. And then the crematorium also requires someone to be cremated in a casket. And it's here we hit upon the first major stumbling block for someone trying to arrange a DIY funeral. Legally, anyone with a big enough car, or a ute, or a trailer, can move a casket. But as an individual, it's pretty much impossible to actually get a hold of one. And that's by design. As we said at the start, funerals are a big business. So when a funeral director helps the family set up a funeral, obviously they need to make a margin because they've got staff to pay and and premises to run and profits to make. Um, And so funeral directors don't usually allow families to bring their own casket or would look down upon such an idea. This is Tamara Linhoff. With her partner at the time, she set up Tenderest, a casket manufacturing business. They operated for seven years before closing in 2014. The only reason she's able to talk about this issue now is because she's no longer in the business. Funeral directors told me repeatedly that basically most families, 80% of families, choose casket number two off the bottom of the list because they don't want to get the cheapest, and, uh, but Dad wouldn't want anything fancy. But the second off the bottom of the list is often not a particularly cheap choice. So customers are paying up to $10,000 for a funeral. While her partner made the caskets, Tamara oversaw the sales. And a big part of that is dealing with funeral directors. One of the most frequent questions that I always got within the first two minutes was, do you sell direct to customers? Or what do you do if a family calls you directly? And I quickly learnt that the correct answer was, well, we'll direct them to our local funeral director and we'll provide them with our casket through you. Don't worry, we won't sell direct. Um, Our business would not be feasible if we were to sell direct. That became quite obvious very, very quickly. So why are some funeral directors so concerned about us being able to buy our own caskets directly? Um, So funeral directors make pretty substantial margins on caskets. 
Um, so when we sold a casket to a funeral director, they would at least double the price that it was then on sold to the family. So they were making a margin of 100% on the wholesale price. We certainly weren't as the manufacturers. Um, and were we to sell directly to a customer and the customer turns up with a casket ready, that margin is no longer available to the funeral director. The result of this is that it's pretty much impossible for people like V to arrange transport from the hospital themselves. You're pretty much forced into getting a funeral company to do it for you and to paying their markup. Via her casket making business, Tamara has first hand experience of what can happen when you don't play the game. And when we were featured on Campbell Live, the reporter asked my partner, what would you do if a family called you direct? Do you sell direct? And his answer was, well, we have a few times, but only when there's no funeral director involved. Next day, my phone didn't stop ringing and the emails were coming in. I was being asked to clarify our position on direct sales. Um, It took six months of backpedalling to convince funeral directors that no, we weren't going to sell direct families are actually beholden to the requirements or the rules set by these local private funeral directors. It means that an MDF casket with a fake wood outer and plastic handles can be sold for, you know, up to $2,000. So clearly access to caskets is a big issue, especially if you're organising things yourself. Remember, Tamara ran a casket manufacturer, not a funeral director. So what does the funeral director take on this? If a uh, client wants to bring a casket to us, then we're more than happy uh, to accommodate that. This is Stephen Parkin again. Where we see people supply caskets uh, where it works really well is where maybe a family that are woodworkers are carpenters or they're something where they have those skills. And a couple of the sons maybe really just want to make dad's casket. And they're very confident to do that. And it all goes well. Cool. Well, that sounds great. But Lamb and Haywood own their own crematoriums, and whilst they may be happy to let you provide your own casket, there's no obligation for them to do that. Crematoriums can refuse any casket they don't like. Obviously, we have to be careful that we have checked that so that it is fit for purpose. And there are some good reasons to be cautious. Well, it can be too small and not fit, or it may not actually be strong enough. It's where you're putting the deceased person and then they're moving around. So is that going to contain that person? And obviously if it doesn't, then that's a horrendous mistake. You don't get a second chance to redo a funeral service. And so when someone is wishing to provide their own casket, we still have to check it you know, thoroughly uh, and there has been times when we've, when we've had to say to families that they just can't use it because it's not fit for purpose. So in summary, it feels like there are good reasons for funeral directors to be cautious of homemade or unknown third-party caskets. But the current situation, whereby it's pretty impossible to buy your own directly, ultimately seems like it drives up prices and is bad for consumer choice. I definitely didn't have a framework for how much things should cost. Here's V again. So if someone told me, oh, a coffin starts at $1,000 and goes up from there, I wouldn't know whether they were genuinely charging the cheapest price for a wooden box or whether they were adding an overhead of any kind. With more of us opting to arrange parts of our own or our loved ones' funerals ourselves, this seems like a bad situation. But what are we going to do about it? Tamara had some thoughts on a solution. 
casket standards, so weight requirements, leakage requirements, um, and emissions requirements. And if you meet these standards, then you need to be accepted all around the country. Um, and um, absolutely a really strong onus on price disclosure in advance uh, and more advice to customers on shopping around. So that's one solution. Opening up access to caskets would remove a huge barrier to the DIY approach. Now you might think that as a CEO of a large funeral directors, our friend Stephen would be opposed to increased regulation. But when we spoke to him, that wasn't the case. In fact, he's actively pushing for more. Currently, anyone can become a funeral director in Aotearoa. You don't need any kind of qualification or suitable experience. I asked him why that is such a big issue. Well, I think the public can reasonably expect, shouldn't they, that the term funeral director should mean something. You know, like a dentist or an electrician. It should signify a certain standard of competence or qualification. But it doesn't. It actually can just be some lunatic with no experience or training who buys a station wagon and a briefcase and registers themselves with the council as a funeral director. So what is he proposing? There has to be some sort of benchmark that people can understand that there is a set standard. And if you use those uh, examples like a dentist, if you can go to a dentist and you know that dentist has been through dental school and operates a quality business and you can feel safe to go to that dentist, then that's great. But if you can also go to a dentist and you don't actually know that this dentist hasn't done any training, in fact they were a mechanic last week and now they're operating as a dentist and you don't know the difference, then how can that be a, how can that be a good system? If you go out on the streets and ask people today, do they think that funeral directors are regulated and, have, and need to have some sort of qualification and industry standing? I think almost everybody would say, yes, of course, don't they have to? I, I don't think the public understands that someone can call themselves a funeral director on the mere whim of wanting to be one. My instinct was that Stephen might be right on this last point. I put it to V. Mm, I didn't know that they're not regulated, but to be honest, that doesn't surprise me. Um, some of them that I called were really professional or they referred to me to their website where they had a full breakdown of various costs and fees. Others were really, really opaque. And because I was cold calling essentially to say, hey, this has just happened, what do I do? Um, there was quite a lack of sensitivity actually in a lot of the people that I spoke to. One person said over the phone, oh, wow, you sound really, really young. How old are you? And when I told her, she was like, gosh, you're so young. How old was your mum? And I told her, you know, oh, she was 57. And she said, wow, that's my age. That's so young to die. Was it cancer? Which is just, you'd think that someone dealing in the death industry would be a little bit more sensitive than asking someone in a cold call, how did your mum die? I don't know. It was really shocking to me, as you can tell, it stayed with me all these years later, that the day after I found out my mum has died, I've got funeral directors essentially asking me to tell them what happened, why she died. At such a vulnerable time, that kind of insensitivity is bad enough. But it can get even worse. So Poppy's funerals had only been operating a short time in Christchurch when they closed in 2017. And, you know, that was after significant negative media. And that involved, you know, several cases where they didn't provide services agreed 
And in one, you know, terrible case, they said that a young woman had been embalmed when she hadn't. And then that body deteriorated badly while she was at home and was supposed to be at home for three days. It was horrific. So several weeks before they closed Poppy's, well, Poppy's accepted $5,000 from uh, Mr. Tom Wilson, who was at the time he was 75 and terminally ill and without any means. So Poppy's had said that the $5,000 had been placed in a trust account, which it wasn't. The family fought that through the police to get the money back, but they never did. They were unsuccessful. So Poppy's Funerals, you know, is that classic example of a low-cost startup without any experience or resources ripping off vulnerable clients. So the current regulations, you know, they, they don't protect other families from suffering the same fate. You know, to me, it's, uh, it's inconceivable that the law would continue to allow this to happen to people who are grieving. After the conversation, I looked up this case. And Stephen isn't being a sensationalist. That's pretty much exactly what happened. What he didn't tell you is that Lamb and Haywood stepped in to provide free funeral services for some of the people who were affected. Shout out to him for that. In addition to being worried about companies like Poppies, Stephen is also worried about pricing disclosure across the whole funeral industry. Well, I think it's, it's interesting when you talk about price, and I think one of the things that we are all mindful of is price transparency. Price transparency basically means how easy it is to figure out what you're going to pay. That might seem straightforward, but it often isn't. So they wouldn't want to go into full detail because they would say, oh, well, it really depends on what you want to choose for the ceremony, what kind of casket you'd like, but a package of this kind will probably cost you between three to $5,000. That was V again. She's sharing her experience of planning her mum's funeral with us. That was a few years ago now, so the prices might have gone up a bit. But the experience is still the same. It's very common for funeral directors to give you a rough quote before the ceremony, then follow up with a precise bill after the event. That bill then needs to be paid in a matter of weeks. I don't really understand why it's so hard to get a fixed price agreed before the service. So what's our funeral director Stephen's take on this? Well, the answer is that no, there is no legitimate excuse as to why all the costs aren't disclosed up front. You should definitely be able to easily identify when something, what something is going to cost you. And you should be able to get that information before you purchase any item. And I think we all agree on that, and, and that funerals are no different. So Lamb and Haywood publishes our prices on our website, but, and, I, and not many companies do that. You know, I, I hear there's a standard line from most funeral companies which has been, all funerals are different. We need to meet with you to discuss your needs before we can give you a price. Okay. But then I would say, we should know how much a funeral will cost by now. Okay. But, but think about it. Try and imagine this. Uh, and it's sort of a bit personal, I know, but a person close to you has died. You know, and it, and it might be a real tragedy. And now you're sitting with a funeral director and maybe things are pretty raw with you. But the funeral director is, you know, be very good and caring and they're trying to sensitively guide you through all of the items that need to be discussed. And those meetings take about two hours and, and it's tough going. At what point is the right time to start detailing the costs? If we do it too soon, then people think that it's all, all we're concerned about, it's all just about the costs. But the costing is, is so important, you know, 
of all the items that are being discussed, you, you need to understand what the cost of those is at the time that we're arranging them. So if price is an issue for you, or you just want to take back more control over the funeral process, then there are a number of things you can do to make sure you're getting exactly what you want. A good start would be getting an itemised list of what you're paying for. But of course, there really does need to be further regulation in this area, and it seems absolutely bananas that anyone with a station wagon, as Stephen said, can just rock up and perform funeral director services. So as a starting point, there clearly needs to be further regulation in this area to provide for licensing for funeral directors. There also, as we've heard, needs to be more price transparency. So regulating to help that would be a really good way of helping people who are in a really vulnerable position when a loved one dies understand the costs they're actually up for. What do you think, Soph? 100, completely agree. I think it's really disturbing that any old shonky person down the road could take ownership of your loved one and essentially hold them ransom until um, you pay them for their shonky services. Yeah, and you know there are, have been some disturbing cases, as we've heard, over the years of, of, of people in that exact situation. Mm. I wonder if after her terrible experiences with her mum's death, if it's changed the way V will approach things in the future. It has changed the way that I think about it and um, it happened that my dad wound up being diagnosed with cancer a few months after my mum passed away and because we had so recently had that experience, we've had quite a few conversations where I've said, do you have your will somewhere that we can find it? What kind of funeral do you want? Because we weren't able to have those conversations with mum and I don't want to do something that would be against my dad's wishes, but I definitely do not want to go through that experience again. Should we do the outro? You've been listening to Consume This with John and Sophie. Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ. We're a not-for-profit organisation which is supported by our members. If you're enjoying the podcast, then we'd love it if you consider joining or donating. Becoming a member also gives you access to all our content, independent product reviews and advice line. Thanks to this week's guests, V Blackwood, Tamara Linhoff and Lamb and Haywood CEO Stephen Parkin for sharing their stories with us. This episode was produced by Tom Ruth-Smith and a special shout out this week to our marketing expert, Hamish Woolgar. If you're a new listener, he's probably the reason why. You can get in touch with us via podcasts at consumer.org.nz. Hit follow or subscribe in your podcast app now. Kakite. See ya. Hello, I'm Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.